Hey, Cheyenne Hilton, welcome to SermonCast, our podcast where we provide you just the message portion of that week's service. Our current series, titled Living Proof, will take us through Easter. Each week, we'll feature a portion of an interview with a prison inmate and his remarkable story of redemption. However, this story involves many heavy issues, so our services and so the sermon cast come with a disclaimer. Parental discretion is strongly advised as this man's story involves suicide, abuse, addiction, and gun violence, among other subjects. If these interviews or this series brings up anything for you or you are dealing with any of these issues, please use the resources available to you, such as the suicide hotline, which is simply 988. Or you can call 211 in Wyoming to be linked to mental health and other resources closer to home. We think these issues are important to speak about and hope you will find this series a source of healing and growth. Now, this week's message. In 2011, Brian Noel took a bottle and a gun to a hotel room to end his life. After a tragic encounter with officers on a welfare call, Noel was charged with two counts of attempted voluntary manslaughter. He was sentenced to 34 to 40 years in prison, but that was not the end of his story. It was the beginning of his rebirth. Have you ever been walking down the sidewalk with one of your buddies and you see, you spot like a shiny coin uh, on the sidewalk and you both go running over there to see who can get it first? You realize pretty quickly that this shiny quarter uh, has a flip side to it and it's covered in the street cesspool of yuck and muck and it's just grimy and nasty. But the point is our lives have two prevailing stories or two sides to them. And so my life had a shiny side. I grew up in a Christian loving family. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at age six. I was baptized in Israel, but there's also a flip side to that coin. And so the thing that nobody knew about when I was uh, younger, I was sexually abused by a babysitter. So there was these external things happening that were outside of my control. And there was also this internal hell that I couldn't process, I couldn't deal with. And this caused a series of events in my life uh, to include, on occasion, I would cut myself, to uh, include sexually immoral relationships and eventually alcohol. This monster of an addiction that I couldn't get rid of and it controlled me and it controlled my life. And I had about a period of eight months of sobriety, but then I relapsed and there was just nothing that could fill that void. And I couldn't overcome the hurt. I couldn't overcome the pain. It was as if Satan had tattooed tears upon the inner chambers of my heart. And there was nothing in this world that could wash away those ink stains. And I tried everything under the sun to to get the hurt, the pain, the shame to go away. Uh, But hurt just compounded on hurt, and it just led to the point where I grabbed a 9mm handgun and I went to a hotel room when I was 24 years old on November 9th, and I was going to end it all. Like, I promised to myself that I wouldn't leave that hotel room alive. I wanted to end my life because I didn't want to move forward in this pain anymore. Anybody that's going through depression or, or having some of that suicidal ideation or anything like that. But you know that uh, for those of you that have been there, and, and of course to explain it for those of you who haven't, it's just this dark, 
it's a really dark place to be. It's like a deep, dark pit, and it doesn't seem like there's any way out. It doesn't seem like there's any light. And when you get to that place, it seems like the only option is to end it. That the emotional pain is so, is so intense that there's no physical pain to even surmount to it. So at that point, it seems logical to end the emotional pain. And that, that's where I was at. We get in these situations in life where we just feel so hopeless and despondent. And we say, why me? Why me, God? What Satan meant to use in your life to still kill and destroy were going to be the very things that God was going to use to not only restore, redeem, and empower you know, me through my life, but to also help an entire generation of other people going through the same thing. It's really been, you know, this 180 that I've had in my life, all because of the grace, the love, the mercy of God. Two sides of the coin, two paths to walk. We have a choice. Hurt or healing, despair or hope, fear or faith. Trapped by our sin and dead in our tomb. Or through Jesus Christ, break free of the grave, go out and be living proof. On the 14th of the month of Adar in the Hebrew calendar is a celebration called Purim. Purim is, was celebrated on March 6th and 7th of just the first part of this week. And it commemorates the salvation of the Jewish people. There was a time when the Jewish people were in Susa under Persian rule. And at that particular time, this guy named Haman, the right hand of the king, was offended by a Jewish guy. He didn't know he was a Jewish guy. He was offended by this guy. And he found out he was Jewish. And he said, all right, we're going to get rid of the Jews from all the land of Susa. He had the power to do it. At that particular time, there was also a woman, beautiful woman, named Esther. She was in the king's court, had found favor with the king. And when she got information from her cousin Mordecai, she said this, You go fast and pray with your people. I will fast and pray with the people around the court, the, the girls that were part of her, uh, not her harem, her, her entourage. And I will go in and confront the king. And if I perish, I perish. It's one of those monumental type of spaces in the Jewish calendar where all their children in, in the Israel children are taught this concept of courage and leadership, speaking truth to power. And these kids go, the Jewish kids go to camp, just like our kids go to camp. One of the things they'll talk about is Esther and her courage under fire, her courage to speak truth to power. It's something that's a mantra. In fact, the, one of the Jewish writers I read, he said, yeah, this is our mantra because Purim is actually a celebration. He said, this is our mantra for Purim. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. <laughs> like that. You know, when the 
when God wants a, a people to remember something, especially his, his people, he, he made a festival out of it. There's, I think, uh, I think there's th- three major festivals in the spring, three major festivals in the fall. Purim is one of those festivals in the spring. Kind of kicks things off. Passover is the next one. Passover is probably the oldest of the, 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 uh, the festivals or that they celebrate. And Passover is commemorating or it's helping the Jewish people tell the story to remind the children and their children's children that the death angel passed over the houses that had lamb's blood painted over the, over the doorposts. That's Passover. And they still celebrate Passover even today. Our, our, if you've come to our 201, I've explained to you how our communion, the third cup and the bread that's broken, comes out of Passover, comes out of the Seder dinner during the time of Passover. So really, it's, it's a deeply rooted uh, tradition in the, the Jewish mantra. And then God says, I want you to do this every year and remember that I, I delivered you and how I delivered you and all the things that surround Passover. Another one of those festivals is Purim. And God made this, I think, he, he had these, the Jewish people remember this heroic, this uh, uh, brave, heroic woman named Esther who spoke truth to power. Your people go and pray. I will go and pray with my people. And let's pray that God will give me favor with the king. And if I perish, I perish. I think if, I don't know why Disney doesn't call me up and ask for information. But it's like, if you want a hero girl that can save your company, do Esther. If they've not called and asked, I don't know. It probably won't happen. Because she is truly heroic. Another story that, uh, that is heroic is Moses. Moses has a story, and this story also begins with, with, deals with fear. Esther had to manage her fear, deal with her fear, pray over her fear. And, and Moses had to deal with fear. And if you remember, he was so fearful, he said, I'm not your guy, God. But in the process, he finds courage, and Moses, too, goes and speaks truth to power. We're we're in the middle of trying to understand the story of Moses. So if you have a Bible, I would like for you to turn to Exodus chapter 1, verse 15 through 22. This is the next, we started last week of, of the beginning of Moses' journey and how they were trying to kill all these Hebrew babies. We're still having some of that going on in this first chapter. So we're going to take the next little chunk of scripture. Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, it goes like this. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sapphira and the other a Puha. By the way, Sapphira uh, means fairness. And Puha means brilliance in Hebrew. I just think it's, I don't know if it means anything or for our story, but it's, I think it, it, you just keep those two words in mind as you see what they did. These midwives, these Hebrew midwives, um, named fairness and brilliance. When you serve as midwife, this is what the king said, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? You let the male children live, 
The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous, and they give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because of the midwife, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all the people, every son that's born to a Hebrew, you shall cast him into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So it's a setup, and you know what's coming. There's going to be a basket in the Nile River soon. I know what you're thinking. Where's the, where's the basket? That's the picture I know. It's in my children's book that we gave that to those kids. It's the basket. It's coming. This is a setup for it. So you can see how these midwives, they dealt with this fear. And I'm going to talk about this fear. The first thing I want to talk about is, is fear and fighting fear itself. I've been reading a book. It's called The Voice of the Heart. And it's, uh, it says, discover the gift of eight feelings. There's eight feelings in this book that's talked about. And we are covering most of them in this particular series. In fact, as I read through the book of um, Exodus chapter 1, it's like all these fell out, shame and fear and anger. And we're going to address all of them as we go through. And what I want you to notice is we're getting this idea from Brian's story. He said there's a two sides of a coin. Remember that shiny coin? The shiny side of that coin so that he grew up in a Christian home. He was even baptized in the Jordan River, for crying out loud. You can't get shinier than that. But he had a dark side. And that dark side was an ugly side. It, it involved abuse. And, it's a, and it's, a, it's a side of his life that, that was so dark and so painful. And it caused so much of the of his uh, struggles in the adult life. And I, and I told you last week, I said, this is going to be a heavy series because it deals with heavy topics. It deals with stuff that, that people deal with. And I told you then, as I want to tell you again, James chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now, I don't know if I really pointed this out last week. I'm going to make sure you get it this week. Therefore, confess your sins to one another Pray for one another so that you may be healed. It doesn't say that God would heal you. He, God is the one that heals you. But the, the agent, I want you to get the agent of this. You're supposed to pray for one another. There's a one another part of this. Why? Because we're supposed to confess our sins. There's something powerful about unlocking the dark places in our, in our life and, and speaking those out and saying, this is the yuck that happened in my life. And when you can do that, confess, you don't have to confess to the world, but you confess to somebody and it comes out of your mouth. Now all of a sudden it doesn't own you anymore. And I want you to know that it's important that we confess our sins one to another. Find somebody you confess, you can, it's safe, that can, you can confess. It's like this is a, a secret. I've got to get out. And then it says this, the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. I told you, you can utilize this in front of this church any time. Bring somebody, bring your spouse, bring your friend, whatever, and pray, and maybe whatever you need to do. We've also set up a room. I'm going to be pounding this. I want you to, you prayer warriors, I'm going to put you, uh, this is your, your, your call to, to action. We've got a prayer room, and there's a TV in that prayer room, and it's flashing up things to pray for. And I will tell you, this church needs a prayer covering. I'm, I'm more convinced than ever. I've, there's sometimes I feel like, man, we're just bulletproof, and I will tell you right now, it's, we're not. And we need, to, we need our prayer warriors praying. 
and anybody else that wants to go and pray and just ask for God to cover this place with prayer. I had some people in there this morning. And so before each service, I just want people to pray for the covering for this church. Our school needs our prayer covering for sure. And I, we, I just want you to know we've got to have this and we've got to we've got to up our game when it comes to our, our prayer time. It's uh, down that hallway where the the, pep, the soda machine, we had to move the soda machine because we couldn't see the prayer room sign. So some of you are going to be upset with that. Um, but other the rest of you, go in there and pray and maybe pray for those that are upset about the soda machine. But we need to fight fear itself. Today, we're going to talk about that coin. The coin is fear. And there's two sides of fear. There's anxiety on one side. That's the dark side. There's rage and anxiety on one side. That's the dark side of that coin. The other side of that coin, there's strength and there's faith. But fear can be used to drive us to strength and faith, or fear can be used to get us into that box of anxiety, or inflame that rage which protects our fear. So I'm going to talk about some of these things. I just want you to know as I go through this, some of these things you're going to go... I don't think he thought of that thought. You're right. It came from this book. So if, it's a, if there's a thought that I come across, you go, well, that was really good. It's probably out of this book. So I'm going to give these, this guy credit. Um, Chip Dodd. It's really insightful. Uh, voice of the heart. A call to full living. That's, it's really good. But I'm going to talk about those two sides. Let's talk about the strength side of that coin of fear. Fear, this is, this is actually a quote from the book. It is the feeling that allows us to experience risk, this fear. It's the feeling that allows us to experience risk, trust, dependency, and collaboration, and ultimately wisdom because it helps us realize our need for help. You see, when we have fear, let's take a child, these children up here, they have fear of the dark. And really, they don't have fear of the dark. They just have fear of the dark alone. As soon as mom or dad or whoever walks into that room, now the dark isn't scary anymore. They're not afraid of the dark. They're, they're afraid of being alone. So fear actually says, I need some collaboration. I need someone to come alongside of me. And as long as you're alongside of me, I'm not afraid of the dark anymore. Fear can cause us to do good things. Like, this may happen to you. I don't know. But you get, maybe you're driving and you feel like, I fear that we're lost. Now, this fear, I've noticed it triggers quicker with a female than the male. The male says, nah, no, we're not lost. We just keep going. Right? And if, if the guy ever says, you know, I fear we're lost. So it's like, okay, I told you a long time ago. And the, and the wife is saying something like, um, why don't we collaborate with somebody and ask where the heck we are? Because fear, fear does that. Fear is a, it's a good thing, right? It's a fear that says, hey, I'm not sure we're going the right direction here. And maybe we need to stop and turn around. We need to collaborate. We need to ask some questions. That's what fear does. It, it gets people together. Now, we have all kinds of fears. And I will tell you, when you have those fears, it's good to have friends. It's good to have people together, neighbors. You get together. You fear something's going on. You, you collaborate. So fear has a good side. That's the shiny side of fear. But fear has a dark side. The dark side of fear can bring anxiety. Here's, an, again, from Chip Dodd's book. Anxiety is the indication that we are trying to get away from having to deal with fear that's in our hearts by dreading something that has not happened 
or trying to prevent the reoccurrence of something that has happened. That's what anxiety is. It's like, I've, I've seen this movie before. I'm hit by this truck before. I know what's going to happen next. And you, ha- you, although you don't know for sure, but you know it could happen, right? That's anxiety. That's the, the, the terrible side of, of fear is this anxiety. And, you, and sometimes that anxiety can be paralyzing. This is where phobias come from, right? I've, I, you had, a, you had a, a something happen in your life, and now you're, a fear, you're afraid to, to do that. You came up and stood in front of a group, and you said something, and, 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 and you got, I don't know, some kind of ridicule, or you felt ridiculed. It's like, never again, ever. And if you ever have to come up in front of somebody and say something again, you're just like, oh, anxiety. You're, even the, you're afraid of the, the idea of it, right? That's anxiety. And, and anxiety is a horrible side of this fear. Because fear, fear can actually bring you to strength and faith if you get some collaboration, get some help, and get some education, and maybe you can figure out how to get over this fear of, of whatever it may be. But it can cause an anxiety. We live in a defense, we live in defensiveness against the events that may or may not occur. This happens a lot. Those of you that are more cautious in my nature can really fall, fall victim to anxiety. You've got to be careful with anxiety. You've got to get some people around you to help you through those things. Otherwise, you'll, you'll suffer all alone. There's others that throw themselves into the future and end up missing the present. I thought this was insightful. And you, this is the point where you should say, I don't think Galen had that thought. But this is a really deep thought. Some people, because of anxiety... They, throw, they just throw themselves completely into the future. And what they do by living in the future, they're, they're missing the present, the right now. We can do this. It's like when cra- life gets so crazy, we just start living in the future and, and forget the present. Here, what we need to do in the present is face those fears, collaborate and share with somebody, this is what I'm fearing in our world today, in our economy today, in parenting today, in our marriage today, whatever, well, here's what I'm fearing. Talk about those things and pray over those things. That's, that's living in the present. And when you come out of that prayer room, and I hope you use it, I love the picture, and you see this every once in a while, um, this little picture of, of a bunch of cats going into this room. It says, before prayer, and then out of that, out of that room is a bunch of lions, and it says, after prayer, I like that picture. And that's what it should, when we pray and get, collaborate with each other and collaborate with God, we should have this boldness of a lion to deal with our life. That's, those are the tools that God has given us. He's given us each other. He's given us this ability to commune and stay in the present and face our fears on our knees, do battle in prayer. Another side of fear is rage. And this one's a little bit, um, I, I'm going to dive into it, and, and I'll do my best to try to unpack what, I, what he's trying to communicate here. But, it, but it's an interesting one, and it's an important one, because he says some things about rage that I, I certainly had not thought of. Um, first of all, it results in refusing to face our fears of vulnerability. He said that anytime we face and deal with rage, and rage can be a you know, outward expression, you know, that kind of rage. But also rage can be internal. It can be that seething, burning, silent rage. So it doesn't necessarily, you have to see this rage. But 
But rage is something that's a, it can be external or it can be internal. But anxiety, I'm sorry, um, rage results from refusing to face our fear of vulnerability. It's like, it's like having to deal with a weakness in your life. It's like all these things, you do all these things well, and yet somebody attacks your weakness. Or, or something in life is approaching that weakness. Or getting close to this weakness. And you're just like, man, you, there's this rage, either outward or inward. Let's say you're a parent, and you have a child. And you have a parent-teacher conference. And the teacher says your child has certain kind of behaviors that need to be fixed. All right. If, you are the, if you're one of those that takes this and it's like, you're angry at the school and angry at the teacher and angry at everybody else, then there's, there's an issue there that you're missing. It's like, it's not about, this is about the child. And this teacher is saying, hey, let's work. But if you can take, approach this and say, yeah, you know what? We see those same behaviors. Um, let's, let's put a full court press on this. I want you to keep, stay in contact with me. I will stay in contact with you. Let's work, help work this child through this, this difficult season of their life. See, that's not rage. Rage is saying, you know, you're, rage is when you step or expose a weakness or a vulnerability and you say, well, you know, I can't do this because we're so busy and we, you know, whatever. Those are, that's a reaction. That's a rage type reaction. The dark side of fear. Exposing a weakness. We don't like to be exposed. Rage lashes, lashes out or silently. Or it can lash out silently within. And, that's, and we usually take it out on people that are closest to us. Children, spouse, co-workers. That's where it comes out. This is a very dark side of fear. Rage almost always lashes out from a deep emotional and spiritual wound. This is so true. I've, I've seen this. Um, let's, let's say that a, a person has a problem with cutting others down. They, have, they make a habit of just cutting others down. It makes them feel better because they can cut somebody else down. It's common, happens all the time, and it's painful. The question that needs to be asked is, and let's say, let's say you're, you see somebody that's cutting another person down, and that makes you just, this happens to just infuriate you because this other person's cutting somebody down. The first question you need to ask yourself is, or a counselor will do this for you if you need some help, um, do you see any of these patterns in your own life? And if you're honest with yourself, you'll say, yeah, the reason I can see this in somebody else so clearly is because I do this myself. If you can get to that point, and that's really hard to get to that point. Most people don't. But if you can, then you say something along the lines of, or as counselor would say, is there anything in your life, in your past, in your childhood, sometime that where you were cut down and you have a wound? Because it's usually out of that wound, and that's what he's talking about here. It's usually out of that spiritual wound. If you got ridiculed somehow by some, maybe a coach or maybe a teacher, maybe a parent, you got ridiculed, you got cut down to nothing, wounded deeply, and you do the same thing. And then when somebody else does it, man, you see it and it just, you jump on it because you can see it. How do you see that so clearly? You see, this is that log and speck thing that Jesus was talking about. The fact that I can see somebody's speck in, in their eye is probably because I participate in myself. I may have a log in my eye. I may have something deep in my life, in my past, that I've been ridiculed, and I need to deal with. 
and ask God to, you know, confess that spot in my life that I was cut down and I'm taking that on other people and that's the reason I can see it in somebody else. Does that person need to change? Probably. As soon as I get the log out of my eye and deal with my stuff, then you can see clearly. See the speck in your brother's eye. We're so quick to criticize somebody else. And usually, not always, but you might want to just take a check if you've got guts to do it. Is there anything in my life that's causing me to see this, his or her uh, uh, downfall? This was interesting. Rage-filled people are terrified of exposing their hearts. That rage tries to protect in every way. Does not want, this is why it's so hard to deal with some of those wounds that I was talking about. Because rage wells itself up and says, you know, don't go there. You got a, you got a, you got a wound here in the box. Deep in a corner, a secret. And rage is saying, don't go there. Don't talk about that. Don't touch that spot. And what happens is that rage is protecting that dark spot that so desperately needs to see the light. That so desperately needs to be confessed and say, God, this is a wound and I, and I know it. And I just ask you to heal this for me. God, I confess this to my brother. My brother's lifting it up and he's, he's lifting me up. And as soon as you do that, man, all of a sudden it has no power over you. You've dealt with it. It's the most amazing thing. Here's the last one. Rage destroys the benefit of fear because it denies the fact that fear even exists. Now, if you just had that thought that goes through your mind, it's like, he didn't think of that. You're right. I'm going to read it again. This is a deep thought. Rage destroys the benefit of fear because, see, fear has a benefit. Fear says, I... Yeah, you're going, you're lost. You need to, you're going the wrong direction here. Maybe you need to collaborate with somebody. That's what fear does for us. But, but rage makes sure that doesn't happen. The, it destroys the benefit of fear because it denies the fact that it, that fear even exists. If I would take my lost, you know, if you get, just get angry and just say, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not lost and I'm, you know, just go right on. You might be driving over a doggone cliff. Maybe you need to stop and collaborate because that last sign said bridge out. But rage, rage doesn't care. Rage just says, you know what it says. Fighting fear itself. It's, it's a, these, these women were fighting a fear, but the way they dealt with that fear, guys, you need to see this. In verse 17, this is, the, this is where everything changed. These midwives, they were Hebrew midwives. They were supposed to kill the, 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 uh, the, the sons. A daughter can live. But the midwives, here it is in verse 17, but the midwives feared God. It changed everything because they feared God. The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the male children live. Do you realize these midwives were risking their lives? 
You realize if the king of Egypt found out what these midwives were doing, they were done. The courage it takes to for these midwives. I, I'm just so impressed with these, these two women. And I'm, maybe there was more, but this is the only thing we know. Fairness and brilliance. I'm just so impressed with them. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The beginning of, uh, of, of knowledge is, uh, fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And wisdom uh, comes out of that. Let me read it exactly because I'm a tiny bit messing it up. But the fear of the Lord starts a lot of things and it starts good things. It starts things, if you fear God more than you fear men, you're probably going to make a pretty darn good decision because you're saying, you know what? I got to stand before God for this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There it is. If you fear God more than you fear men, you're, you're probably not as lost as you think you are. You're probably on a pretty good track. You're probably going to make a pretty good decision if you fear God. I got to stand before God for this decision. If you think that thought and have a fear of God, you're probably going to make a pretty good decision. Matthew 18, verse 6, I think we have this on the screen. This is one of those that, that I, one of the reasons I got involved, if you remember last, I don't know, last summer, fall, whatever, got involved in the uh, in interviewing the, uh, the prospective uh, school board members because I just thought, and what drove me was, the, was our children. And it's like, and this is the verse, I don't know, do you guys have that? Here you go. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin or to stumble in some verses, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for his temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations will come, but woe to the one with whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. If it's better for you to enter life crippled than lame than two hands and feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye then two eyes and be thrown into the hell of, hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that even the angel, their angels, isn't that cool? Their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Keep this up for just a second. This is completely aside, but it fits our, uh, our children's dedication this morning. For I tell you then, that in heaven, their angels, you want to know where the idea of guardian angels comes from? comes right here. The idea that we have a guardian angel, their angels, the children have angels, a guardian angel. I don't know if we have guardian angels when we're adults or not, or I, but I, I, I think that guardian angels to help protect us until we, I don't know, come to faith in Christ. I don't know. Until we have the guidance inside, until we become an adult. I'm not sure what that is, but it seems like young people, Children having a guardian angel based on that verse. That's where it comes from. That's all extra credit. It cost you nothing right there. But it starts, I think it starts with this fear of God. And, and for me personally, the, the reason I got involved in this, this school board, because there was curriculum and I was concerned about, and the school board has the power of curriculum. So, okay, let's find out what's in the hearts of the people that are running for school board. And I, and I interviewed them. And I found there were some that in their hearts was things that you could tell they feared God. And there were some that had, you could tell they did not fear God. 
That was not their MO. In fact, there was this one school board member. Uh, no, he, wasn't, he didn't get elected. But one, and um, I was interviewing him. I could not believe he was, I was I, asking about this certain curriculum. Oh, gosh, guys. Um, we're not spring backwards, are we? This is a spring forward. I'm going to tell you the story anyway. But, but the curriculum, and I was really concerned with it. I, I would consider it pornography. I mean, it was like that, that graphic. And he had these reasons why it wasn't. And it was, it was reasons, legal reasons. Legal. I mean, it was like he had all this. He was very intellectual. And he had all these legal reasons why it wasn't. The Supreme Court said this, and this court said this. And all. it was like, wow, you were good. But it's like, at the end of the day, Anyone that feared God could not, could not put that in front of a child. And the, and the thing that I keep wondering, I keep hammering on is why can't we protect the innocence of our kids? I can't understand why anybody can't figure, see that. I have a better understanding of why others can't now. They have, they, they have legal reasons, I guess. They fear the king more than they fear God. And I would just tell you, we need more Hebrew midwives, courage, in our society today. Here's the saving grace. I'm going to throw this in because there's a lot of teachers in this room. And I can tell you, I know a lot of those teachers. And these teachers fear God more than they fear man. And I know that there's a filter before that those things get to these kids. Yeah, you can give them a hand. They should. So fighting fear with fear is fighting fear with the fear of the Lord. And finally, fighting fear with faith. It's, it's, uh, it's having your, the eyes of your heart open. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm going to land this plane really quick. So fasten your seatbelts. We are coming in for a quick landing. Easter is coming up. I'm just going to ask you to start praying for somebody in your... Say, God, would you bring somebody to mind that needs to hear the gospel at Easter? This is when people's hearts are more open. This is when you got, yeah, I don't know, four or five weeks. Just start praying. It's like, God, is there anybody, any family member? See if God will pop somebody, bubble somebody into your mind. And if, you, if they do, just start praying. It's like, okay, God, I got the person. Is there, is there some way that you can create for me to give an opportunity for this person and invite, to invite them to come to one of our services? Pretty simple. It's scary, but really important. I, I told you, I, I really believe that we have to become a church that is on our knees and battling in prayer because I will tell you, that, as you know, you know this, but things are not getting easier. Parenting is not getting easier. Marriages are not getting easier. Relationships are not getting easier. There's tension, and people are on a high alert, and there's a lot of tension. We're dealing with tension everywhere. And I will tell you, I, I know that we've got to fight this stuff. This, this is Satan's playground. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the powers and principalities of this dark age. And those powers and principalities are really good at what they do. And they can use us. They can use our tongues. They can use our attitudes. They can use our fear. And we can get on the wrong side, the flip side of that fear. can do a lot of damage. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. For if you keep silent at this time, and I don't know what it is for you. Maybe, maybe you need to, to 
to speak up in some area of your workplace, in your family life, in your... Maybe you need to speak up. If you keep silent at this time, this is what Mordecai told to Esther. Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom at such a time as this. Do you think God has you on this planet for a purpose? I'm going to ask you to answer that question for you. Yes, you have a purpose. I'm going to pray. I want you to ask God and pray and ask God and say, God, what is my purpose? What's, what would you like for me to do right now? Is there a person? Is there a situation I need to speak to? Is there a place where I need to fear you more than I'm fearing the king? Because all I can think about is the king and what's going to happen to me. Can I fear you more than I fear the king? Can you give me the strength? You did it for Esther. God, could you do that for me? God, could you do that for us? Would you pray with me? Father, I do pray for this kind of courage. It's, uh, it's courageous to even pray for this kind of courage. I would imagine some are even have anxiety, me asking to pray for this kind of courage. But Lord, I do know that there's those that need. There's people in our neighborhoods, there's people in our workplace, there's people in our own families that need someone to have courage and speak grace, and speak truth into their lives. Maybe to invite them to an Easter service. Maybe to say, come and see. Just come and taste to see that the Lord, he is good. He's paid for all these sins. So Lord, I pray for us, for the, for the courage and the faith that we'll live out of that shiny side. I pray this in Jesus' name.